This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Happy Pride Month! The massive celebration in June is a stunning display of allyship, visibility, and activism. But you may have noticed that Pride brings something else to the table too. Rainbow capitalism. Every year we are bombarded by buttons, shirts, social media posts, and everything you can think of from companies that claim their allyship and support. What's their only problem? Their commitment is a little bit weak. They donate to politicians who spew anti-LGBTQ legislation and rhetoric and have histories of discrimination, among other things, which we will get into in just a bit. Visibility is vital, but false allyship is dangerous. So what's really going on with rainbow capitalism? Hello everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the newly formed phenomenon called rainbow capitalism. You may have noticed in recent years that every June, everything seems to turn rainbow. It seems you can't wander anywhere or go into any company's social media without seeing a rainbow flag or rainbow products being promoted. While some argue that this sudden burst of rainbow business promotions is a necessary step towards promoting LGBTQ visibility and acceptance, others have pointed out the inherent hypocrisy of companies who participate in June while funding politicians and organizations that promote anti-LGBTQ legislation and exploit the community. That's just one critique of this new yearly tradition. Others claim that rainbow capitalism and corporatization of pride have also caused people to forget or ignore its true history and the activism that is deeply entrenched in it. So what is the true history of pride and who are these companies that take rainbow capitalism to a whole new level? Let's get into it. Pride comes from a history of activism against police brutality and the horrific treatment of people within the community. While it's certainly a time for pride, remembering its history and incorporating activism into it is incredibly important. I'm sure this comes as no surprise, but criminalizing homosexuality is as American as apple pie. When the Puritans left Britain, it was for a wide variety of reasons. Most commonly, we hear it cited as religious persecution and economic reasons. But have you ever considered what that means? In context of today's episode, they disagreed with what they considered to be a society rampant with sexual perversion. Part of the Puritans' belief system, which wasn't being heard by those in Britain, is that sodomy should be punished through execution. And Great Britain was just not going to drink that tea, so to speak. So when there was an opportunity to escape how oppressive Britain was by not wanting to kill people that like participated in sodomy, the Puritans took it and took the proverbial stick up their asses with them to America. But here's the funny thing. When they got there, they assumed they would create their little Puritan utopia and everything would be just fine away from the morally loose standards of England. But once again, their beliefs did not match up with reality. When they encountered the Native Americans, they too had a belief system that did not align with Puritan values. Human Rights Campaign or HRC explains. Research shows that more than 150 different pre-colonial Native American tribes acknowledge third genders in their communities. And that may have been a unifying feature of different pre-colonial cultures. Now, I include this tidbit to show how the idea of criminalizing sodomy and in a broader sense, just not being straight is actually a part of the Puritan belief system. 
In fact, according to HRC, historians have also documented the highly regarded role of spiritual leaders in pre-colonial West Africa who were assigned male at birth, but presented in a feminine manner. The existence of muxes in Zapotec culture in what is now Southern New Mexico, Bakla in pre-colonial Philippines and Hidra in South Asia. All of these individuals were assigned male at birth, but their gender expression and or community role was more feminine. But back to the direct issue at hand here. The Puritans' influence in creating American policies, systems, and government had an influence in the very issues that to a degree still haunt us today. By the 19th century, laws were in place to punish what many considered to be crimes against nature. Again, still talking about sodomy. In the 1800s, the punishment was imprisonment or hard labor. By the 1900s, gay men were being specifically targeted with laws notating that oral sex was a crime. By the 1950s, it wasn't just harsher laws that made being gay in America hostile. It was the culture at the time too. Society at large was motivated to stamp out the immoral behavior of, well, being gay. These witch hunts to find and expose gay people was a direct response and almost a green light from 1953's President D. Eisenhower's Executive Order 10450. This executive order allowed the investigation, interrogation, and systematic removal of gay men and lesbians from the federal government. This was known as the Lavender Scare, which we've discussed at length in a previous episode. Now, in the 1960s, homosexuality and being transgender were widely considered to be mental health disorders in the United States. Unfortunately, the stigma of mental health disorders coupled with the massive misinformation about sexuality and gender contributed to a plethora of insane laws that criminalized anyone who was not or did not present as straight and cisgender. For example, at the time of the Stonewall Uprising in 1969, there were laws that demanded people wear gender appropriate clothing. And I feel like this almost goes without saying, but I think it's pretty obvious that same-sex marriage was also illegal at this time. Unfortunately, all of these things led to LGBTQ people being criminalized and placed at greater risk for repetitive police brutality. Then the Stonewall Riots or the Stonewall Uprising took place on June 28, 1969 in New York City at the Stonewall Inn. At this point, the Genovese crime family had widespread control of most of the bars in Greenwich Village. After seeing an opportunity to profit from the shunned LGBTQ community in New York, they bought Stonewall in 1966. After one year, it was promptly turned into a gay bar and it was promoted as being exclusive. The family bribed the police to ignore the illicit activities that often occurred within the club, such as serving alcohol without liquor licenses and other shady dealings. Still, raids were relatively commonplace in the area, but some police would often tip off the mafia bars to give them time to hide anything illegal happening within. However, the police in the area had been synonymous with violence and discrimination towards LGBTQ people even before Stonewall. On June 28, 1969, Stonewall was not tipped off prior to police storming the club and presenting a warrant. As the raid began, police officers beat the bar patrons and arrested 13 people for violating the state's gender appropriate clothing statute. While the raid continued on, rather than leaving the area, many bar patrons and people within the neighborhood waited outside the club. The scene abruptly escalated when an officer hit someone on the head while putting her in a police car. There's been some argument as to who threw the first historic brick in the uprising, or if a brick was even thrown at all. Some say it was legendary activist Martha P. Johnson, others say it was an unknown person, and some say no one threw a brick at all. But regardless, shit was literally thrown. People threw pennies, bottles, cobblestones, basically anything they could find at police officers before they quickly retreated into the bar. 
After hours of this, the fire department finally arrived, put out fires that had been started and brought the police officers out of the bar. But this wasn't the end. The protests continued on in New York for the next five days and the number of people who joined grew into the thousands and other demonstrations took place all around the city. It's so important to remember that this was not an isolated event and that Stonewall was the reaction to years of police brutality, not just one night. And that's why it gained so much traction. As we know, this wasn't the first act of resistance against police brutality and harassment by the LGBTQ community in the 1960s, but it is widely considered to be one of the most influential. Following the Stonewall uprising, people in New York started to organize advocacy groups by mass and by the next year, they would appear all over the United States. This is what prompted the first Pride of 1970. Originally, it was organized the same month that Stonewall took place and it was set to take place in Philadelphia, but it was moved to New York to honor the anniversary of the uprising and thousands of people gathered together on the first day for the first March. It was a day of celebration, protest, activism, and community bonding that had never been seen before. The massive success of the first Pride and the explicit need for it prompted it to become an annual occurrence. And after years of growing, developing, and organizing, Pride became what we know it as today. But back then there were no corporate sponsors, no giant corporations that plastered rainbows on their social media or anywhere for that matter, and certainly no widespread Pride merch being sold. But now that's all that there seems to be. So is this a good thing? If you dress well, you're gay. If you train glutes, you're gay. I see if you're a arts, legion of beautiful men here to Me and my mom have always been BFFs until I called her to tell her, like, I kind of want to date a girl. And that's just, she lost it. And it was a shock. It's not what I wanted for my daughter. As time has gone on and pride has just gotten bigger and bigger, an interesting phenomenon started to happen. Slowly, companies started sponsoring Pride events, selling Pride products, and promoting Pride all over their social media or other forms of advertising. And at first you might see all the rainbows and go, this is fantastic, right? It's, it's a very adequate first response and that's how I felt too. So I'm not trying to invalidate you if this is how you thought and then you obviously know that with this episode, it's, it's gonna get worse, but I felt the same way initially. We often talk about the importance of visibility in the United States, especially in times like this, when we're seeing states and politicians promote anti-LGBTQ legislation and rhetoric. A writer with the Harvard Review wrote that, if an app changing color is enough to bolster the hope of a gay boy in the Middle East or a trans woman in South America, that is a small win that we should first accept rather than shun completely. And while I do agree with that sentiment on a base level, there is unfortunately much more to it than that. Support is great, But surface level support, while also donating to people that are actively trying to dismantle LGBTQ rights or not offering anything beyond just a rainbow profile picture, isn't really that helpful. In fact, many argue that it's actually extremely harmful. And that's where the idea of rainbow capitalism comes in. I think the best definition I found for it was from the Harvard Business Review, which had written that rainbow capitalism was, a term coined to describe how LGBTQ symbolism is being wielded by companies to heighten consumerism without leading to meaningful improvement for LGBTQ communities. But the issue goes beyond just companies capitalizing on LGBTQ consumers or allies without meaningful contributions to them. Others argue that it goes against the true meaning of pride. Pride is rooted in anti-carceral, anti-capitalist sentimism and activism. Some argue that the newfound commercialism of pride takes away from that message. While Pride is certainly about celebrating love and freedom, it is also about protesting for the right to equality and speaking out against the multiple injustices faced by the community. 
While companies release rainbow products or cute little Instagram stories, 22% of LGBTQ people are living in poverty. Transgender folks are twice as likely to be in poverty than cisgender people, and transgender people of color are three times as likely. In recent years, more and more anti-LGBTQ legislation has been introduced, and hate crimes against people within the community are on the rise and account for 20% of all cases. With this, pride should be seen as a time of activism and companies should be doing more to try and change these statistics. But as Vox puts it, commercialized mass appeal has helped further dampen Pride Month's fiery political roots and helped obfuscate the less pleasant, less talked about issues that matter for many people in the LGBTQ community and will continue to matter long after the rainbow t-shirts, socks, water bottles, and cute retail disappear from store windows. Perhaps the most infuriating things about rainbow capitalism have been the companies that capitalize on rainbow products in the community or sponsored events while simultaneously either directly harming the community or donating to organizations or people that are harming the community. This has been seen time and time again with companies like American Airlines, Disney, AT&T, and so many more. So let's go through some of them. In 2015, American Airlines released a rainbow themed logo across all of its social media. Not surprisingly, this was met with pure outrage from conservatives because when does it not? They're kind of snowflakey, but that's beside the point. While simply trying to address customer complaints on Twitter, like, you know, the normal ones, flight delays, cancellations, lack of tiny bags of pretzels, the airline was met with an onslaught of comments about the rainbow logo, calling it a poor choice, and I'm sure many worse things. American Airlines social media team responded to one of these disappointed tweets by saying, June is Pride Month across the globe, and we are proud to support the LGBT community and its allies. While a majority of the comments regarding the new logo were overwhelmingly positive, there are always those people who have to bring down the vibe. However, American Airlines remained adamant that it had been a pioneer in its fair-minded policies for nearly two decades. They were even involved in the Charlotte Pride Parade and festival in 2015. So you might be thinking, this all sounds great. Where's the problem, Blair? Well, about that. In 2020, American Airlines became one of the many companies who were called out by Representative Pramila Jayapal for their hypocrisy. She publicly denounced the company for donating $46,617 to the turtle man himself, Mitch McConnell, in 2020. Is he not turtly enough for the turtle club? He's not. Now, considering that this is the same man that had been adamantly blocking the Equality Act, this isn't exactly a great look for the company that claimed that they're a pioneer in their fair-minded policies. In response to the criticism of their hypocrisy, American Airlines released a statement that read, American Airlines participates in the political and public policy process in a number of ways, including by making contributions from our political action committee. With respect to the contributions that we make, we don't agree on every issue with the lawmakers to whom we make contributions, but we fundamentally believe that everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And I'm sorry, but I'm just gonna be pretty blunt here. Um, That's a bullshit statement. You really can't sit around and donate to people that are adamantly fighting against equality and then say that you believe everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Like if you truly believe that, then people that promote any anti-LGBTQ legislation or rhetoric or deny any protections for those folks shouldn't be getting a dime of your money, especially not someone like Mitch Turtle McConnell. American Airlines wasn't the only company that the representative called out. She also placed a magnifying glass on AT&T tweeting, AT&T donated $56,295 to Mitch McConnell's 2020 campaign while he was actively blocking the Equality Act. But what a great pride Twitter banner. Oh, and according to Forbes, they have donated 
$2,755,000 to 193 anti-gay politicians. Yeah, over 2 million, almost $3 million. AT&T has donated to multiple politicians who oppose LGBTQ legislation. And then they you know, twirl around a little rainbow pride banner on Twitter. This is obviously pretty shattering news considering that AT&T was one of the first companies to place a non-discrimination clause in their company policies to include sexual orientation and that they donate to and sponsor LGBTQ advocacy giants like the Trevor Project and the Love Loud Festival. But when you break down the donations, it's definitely a little concerning. According to Open Secrets, the company's PAC has contributed tens of thousands of dollars to Representative Bill Flores. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, allow me to refresh your memory. He is one of the people who called out the 2015 decision by the Supreme Court in Obergefell v. Hodges to legalize gay marriage as an example of the breakdown of the family. As if that statement isn't bad enough, the place where he made that statement makes it even worse. The pretty obvious homophobic statement came out during an interview with Tony Perkins, who you might know as the past head of the Family Research Council. I mentioned them in my Chick-fil-A episode, but they're basically a giant think tank that continuously, quote, promotes the belief that homosexual conduct is harmful to the persons who engage in it and to society as large and can never be affirmed. That's a quote. And a gross quote. Basically, it's not a good look that the same company that says they're oh so supportive of LGBTQ rights and equality is donating to a politician who says homophobic things and fraternizes with a homophobic organization. But wait, there's more, because of course there is. AT&T also donated over $60,000 to Representative John Shimkus, who continuously votes against LGBTQ protections. The only time he has voted in favor of these protections was reportedly done by accident. And I'm serious. According to him, back in 2016, when voting on an amendment that would prohibit federal contractors from discrimination against members of the LGBT community, he accidentally hit the yes button. When everyone responded with shock that such a staunch conservative would vote yes to the bill, he swooped in and corrected the narrative saying, my position on this issue has not and will not change. I've consistently defended religious liberty and I always will. During a series of 14 votes on the house floor, I accidentally cast a yay vote for the Maloney amendment when I intended to vote nay. The hilarity of someone just casually hitting the wrong button while voting on an important issue aside, this guy is clearly adamantly against LGBTQ rights and it's not a good look for AT&T to support him. But then of course there are companies like Target or Walmart who have become some of the biggest sellers in Pride merch, especially during June. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Tyler and I'm coming to you in our first ever What's Good Walmart Pride Edition episode. I am so excited about this. This week, we're celebrating our incredible associates and the identities that make them who they are and help make Walmart such an amazing company. On surface level, it seems like these companies will sell anything rainbow from flasks, stickers, notebooks, to a shirt from Walmart that read, closets are for clothes. To many people within the community, these items can feel very much like pandering and even insulting. Chris Stedman talked about Walmart's pride collection with The Observer saying, our in-group language and imagery evolved as a way for us to care for ourselves. So to have it used by brands that have little to no stake in our well-being feels like it cheapens and ultimately defangs the language that we have used to empower ourselves. They think, hey, we can just slap some rainbows on this and call it a day. It's dehumanizing. And this is what I was talking about before when first describing rainbow capitalism. Corporations take language or other things from the community, slap it on some merchandise and then sell it to the masses. This can definitely be seen as exploitative. And it's even worse that a lot of these companies also have a history of discrimination, like Walmart. He's Pat. He's Andy. 
they're going on a blind date at their local Walmart to see if love is in the aisle. Despite its once-a-year rainbow pride section, Walmart has gotten into some murky yeah. waters in the past for discrimination. In 2014, a lesbian couple from Massachusetts sued Walmart. The lawsuit came in response to the company's prior policy that denied benefits to same-sex couples. According to Jacqueline Cote and Diana Smithson, the couple suing, this policy had cost them at least $150,000 in medical bills. After Diana had left the company in 2008 to care for Jacqueline's mother, the couple tried to enroll her in Walmart's health insurance plan. Despite them being married and Smithson being a former employee, they were denied. Although Walmart expanded the policy in 2014, Smithson had been diagnosed with cancer two years before the change and was forced to stay to pay thousands of dollars out of pocket on her treatment. GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders, and the WLC, Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, said that this was the first case of its kind since the Supreme Court had legalized same-sex marriage in the United States about a month previously. Before long, the case expanded to a huge class action lawsuit of same-sex couples fighting for reimbursement for Walmart's discrimination. And in 2016, that's exactly what they got. After nearly two years of litigation, Walmart and the plaintiffs reached a settlement. In it, Walmart agreed to pay $7.5 million to employees who had been denied spousal benefits before the policy change in 2014. Walmart's senior vice president said in a statement after the settlement was announced, "'We're happy both sides could come together to reach a resolution. We will continue to not distinguish between same and opposite sex spouses when it comes to the benefits we offer under our health insurance plan." And while the settlement is great news, they still discriminated against same-sex couples right up until the point that same-sex marriage was made legal nationally. They waited until the very last moment to change their policy. All of this just makes it seem way more insulting to me that they are now making money off of pride apparel and trinkets and such. They clearly weren't supportive in the past and they're only supportive now because it's making them money. I think that's a little messed up. And as if all of this wasn't bad enough, Walmart, like seemingly everyone else, has also donated a boatload of money to anti-LGBTQ politicians. They, like American Airlines, also donated to Mitch McConnell. Like, why are they all donating to this man? Like, can we, can we not? And in just 2021 alone, last year, they donated $150,000 to him. Despite their history of discrimination and their current donations to anti-LGBTQ senators, Walmart has just gone right along with creating and selling clothes, stickers, water bottles, whatever they can, just once a year during Pride to make us happy on a superficial level, I guess, and earn a buck off of us. But what makes this even more infuriating to me is that they don't even donate any substantial money back to LGBTQ plus organizations. Most of the profits actually stay with them. If companies really wanted to support Pride, it should be the other way around with most of the profits going to advocacy groups. It's definitely not a good look. And I certainly understand why so many people find themselves frustrated or infuriated over the continuous performative actions and exploitation of this community. And speaking of performative actions, let's talk about the mouse for a second. And that's right, I'm talking about Disney. But before we get into the rainbow colored mouse and his many trails of lies, let's take a quick moment to place the sponsor here because I couldn't find a better place to put it. So cha-cha-cha. When it comes to getting a good night's sleep, it seems like it's harder and harder. I feel like I've tried many things for a very long time until I could finally get it right. So if you're sleeping on a terrible mattress, the truth is your sleep is gonna be terrible. And that's why I recommend sleeping on a purple mattress. That's because only purple mattresses have the Gel Flex grid. 
It's a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. And they mean that part. The GelFlex grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck, and hips. And it doesn't matter how you sleep. I'm a side sleeper. And if you're a side sleeper too, you know the deal. Your back can be so sore. Neck can be so sore in the morning. And I feel great. It's like actually nice waking up in the morning because I don't wake up feeling like I'm gonna kill myself when I stand up because of all the pain. And unlike memory foam, which remembers everything, thanks to the gel flex grid, purple mattresses bounce back as you move and shift. So you'll never have that I'm stuck feeling that people have with memory foam. And you can try your purple mattress risk-free with free shipping and returns and financing is available too. So there's a lot of options to get your hand on these mattresses. So getting a great night's sleep starts with having a fantastic mattress. So get a purple mattress. Make sure you go to purple.com slash casket and use code casket. For a limited time, you can get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash casket, use code casket and get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash casket, promo code casket. Terms apply. Happy napping. And hey, you might be telling me, I'm sleeping better now, Blair. I got a purple mattress, but I'm still being kept up late at night because I have a bunch of debt and I am stressed about my finances. Well, don't worry, I got you. Because the truth is we've all been there. Seemingly out of nowhere, you get hit by an unexpected expense or bill. You know, maybe a doctor's appointment came in a little more pricing than what you thought. Like it happens. I literally know this happened to me just like two months ago. And it feels like the weight of the world is coming down and it, it's normal to not know where to turn. And luckily Upstart is here to help. Upstart recently helped me. I went to the doctor's office to kind of finish getting a diagnosis and preparing for surgery. Unrelated, doesn't matter what's going on there. Um, but the bills kind of came a little higher than what I thought. And I wasn't quite prepared for that yet with my paycheck. So I turned to Upstart and I said, hey, I need, you know, I need some money to help me pay for these hospital bills and stuff. And sure as shit, they were there, it was really quick and easy. It doesn't matter if you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses, Upstart can help you get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. And they're pretty serious, it's, it's really transparent. And Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score. So rather than just looking at the credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And you can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So if you've got a project you're looking to work on, credit cards you're trying to consolidate, you know, just kind of reduce your overall debt, make those monthly payments easier, don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com casket. That's upstart.com casket to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Again, upstart.com casket. While the Walt Disney Company is more than a giant corporation, to many it has long been synonymous with family entertainment. It's now caught up in a much larger battle in Florida, tied to the country's cultural and political divides, prompted by its opposition to the governor's stance on LGBTQ issues. This state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It is not based on the demands of California corporate executives. Disney as a company has had its ups and downs when it comes to supporting the LGBTQ community. For one, the actual Disney parks around the world are often considered to be a safe space for people to express themselves, their identity, and their relationships without fear of retaliation or hate. 
Additionally, Disney was one of the first major companies in the United States to give health insurance to same-sex couples. You know, what Walmart probably should have done. They also have sponsored a wide variety of pride parades. However, they are still a company that sells rainbow merchandise while simultaneously giving almost nothing back to the LGBTQ community as we've already talked about. And that is a problem. Then there is this recent controversy with Disney and Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. As you may have heard since it's been everywhere the past couple months, Disney decided to suspend its funding of Governor Ron DeSantis and other Floridian officials after the passage of the extremely harmful and homophobic bill. From there, the governor retaliated against the corporation by stripping them of their special tax status. Basically, Disney World ran itself like a mini government on their land, but the governor said no more. There's a lot of talk about if Florida is even allowed to do this or the possibility of Disney suing the state, but that's not what I wanna talk about. Though I do wanna say that everyone should keep an eye on this as it is a dangerous precedent to set if a government entity is allowed to punish a corporation for withdrawing financial support. Something about that does rub me in all the wrong ways. However, I do wanna talk about Disney's funding in the first place. Why were they funding these people at all? And why did it take them so long to pull their funding after the announcement of this bill? Well, it turns out I'm not the only one asking, a lot of people are. Disney only announced they would be pausing their funding after public pressure and a push to boycott the studio until they denounced the horrific bill. In fact, according to Vulture, Disney employees had even written a letter to Disney executives to pressure them to speak out against the legislation. The CEO responded by saying, as we have seen time and again, corporate statements do very little to change the outcomes of minds. Right. When they did finally make the decision to pause their funding, the CEO, Bob Chapik, wrote a memo to employees writing, I missed the mark in this case, but I am an ally you can count on. I will be an outspoken champion for the protection, visibility, and opportunity you deserve. I know I am not the only one to say this, but a true ally wouldn't need to be pressured to stand up against this type of bill. It just kind of should have been almost like a natural reaction, you know? But in the future inspection of Disney's funding, it has been found that they contributed money to every single politician involved in the writing of this don't say gay bill. Then when you keep digging into Disney's political action committee, you find that their biggest recipient was the America First Action. And does that sound familiar? Well, that's because that's Donald Trump's reelection pack and Disney donated $10.5 million to it. Yikes on trikes. In fact, their funding history is so awful that when the CEO suggested the company would rearrange its donations to support LGBTQ advocacy groups more, the Human Rights Committee announced that they would refuse their donations. The interim president, Joni Madison, released a statement that read, until we see them build on their public commitment and work with the LGBTQ advocates to ensure that dangerous proposals like Florida's don't say gay bill or trans bill don't become dangerous laws, and if they do, to work to get them off the books. I feel like it's also important to remember that Disney announced a pause, not a complete withdrawal or promise to not fund these people again in the future. And that in of itself is cause for concern. At the moment, Disney seems to be yet another company that profits off LGBTQ people without adequate support or allyship. They need to do better. Unfortunately, I don't even consider these organizations to be the worst that rainbow capitalism has to offer us. In fact, one of the worst companies in the world of the so-called rainbow capitalism scam, in my opinion, is a company called Gilead. Thank you, Chair. Thank you for agreeing to hold this hearing. And um, um, so let's let's get down to the to the you know the core of this hearing. Truvada, uh, Dr. Grant, Truvada for PrEP is the only known drug that can prevent the transmission of HIV. Correct? It's the only medication that's been approved by the FDA. Mm-hmm. At first glance, um, Gilead may seem like a great company. Alone. 
You know them as the pharmaceutical company that makes the pill Truvada for PrEP. This is the medication that can be taken to reduce the risk of HIV. In fact, it reduces it by about 90%. In short, this medication is life-saving, especially for the LGBTQ community. According to HIV.gov, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men made up 69% of new HIV diagnoses in the United States in 2019. The Human Rights Campaign attributes anti-LGBTQ bias, improper sex education, and inadequate funding to the contribution of the HIV epidemic. This is why the new development of PrEP is so important. In addition to creating a vastly important medication, Gilead also sponsors New York City Pride. See, at first glance, everything seems absolutely golden grams, right? Well, you know by now that I'm not bringing up this company because I'm here to praise them, am I? Now, while they may sell the PrEP medication, they do so at an outrageously high price and have faced multiple controversies for refusing to release its patent so cheaper versions could be made. And this has sparked many protests and lawsuits alike. In 2018, members of the organization Act Up New York, which has been active since the 1980s in response to the AIDS crisis and the governmental indifference to it, protested outside of Gilead Sciences. The protests were designed to bring widespread attention to the price of PrEP as an effort to convince Gilead to lower those prices. Act Up claimed that the medication costs about $6 a month to manufacture, but a month's worth of prescription can run as high as $1,500. In 2020, those prices have increased to over $2,000. That's roughly 250 times more than what it costs them to make it. These costs are for those without insurance. With insurance, the pill can sometimes actually be free, but don't forget that in the United States, and according to the CDC, there are roughly 31.6 million people who are uninsured, and they will be left to swallow that entire bill. Unfortunately, that leaves a lot of people who would be unable to afford the prevention medication. When questioned about this by Slate, Gilead responded by saying that they had raised the annual benefit cap for the Truvada copay coupon program from $3,600 to $4,800. And that sounds all well and good at first. And then when you look at it, it's just a little bit more pandering and exploitation. So let me explain. First off, they are giving a coupon for $3,600 to now $4,800 annually. And the pill is $2,000 a month. So with this coupon, you can get essentially two months. So what about the other 10? It's, it's just a lot of money. That's rent for a lot of people at this point in time, which is also insane. So many people are just cut off from being able to afford this medication, all while the company argues that they really just care oh so much about eradicating HIV and helping people. If you really cared about helping people, the pill wouldn't be $2,000. That's an insane cost for the general public for a pill that costs about $6 to make. Like I get it, you're a company. Companies do need to make money and I do understand that. But this big of a price margin is, it it just seems so unnecessary, greedy and downright cruel. The company also reassured Slate that they had created an initiative called Compass, which according to them is this. A $100 million commitment over 10 years to support organizations working to address the HIV AIDS epidemic in the Southern United States. It is focused on capacity building and shared knowledge in the community-based underfunded organizations, well-being, mental health, and trauma-informed care, and awareness, education, and anti-stigma campaigns. I have a lot to say about this, but I think I'll start with what the writer of the article wrote. Awareness and education are great, but the benefit is limited if you can't afford the preventative care after you've been made aware of it. And I think that's a really easy statement to agree with. Education and awareness are great, but that doesn't really do much for someone when they can't afford the expensive price tag of a medication that will keep them safe in the long run. Altering the stigma around HIV is also great, but do you know what would be better? Protecting people from even getting it in the first place. 
Then when you dig a little deeper, it gets even more infuriating. To most people, $100 million sounds like a lot of money, but to Gilead, it's like pennies. Does anyone wanna take a guess as to how much this company's worth as of 2018? Well, it was $82 billion. So if we're looking for ratios or percentages to kind of bring this more into perspective, because I know billion is a huge number, let alone 82 of them, that means that this company spent less than 1% of its worth on supporting these organizations. They didn't even do it all at once too, by the way, they spread that out over 10 years. So once again, if the company is so concerned and committed to solving a massive health issue in the United States, I would expect a lot more effort. I would also expect more money to be donated, more programs to be developed and the pills to be accessible, but that's just not what's happening. But again, there's more. In addition to price gouging and inadequate donations, all of the company's research into Truvada was also mostly funded by taxpayers' money. So people are basically paying for this twice. One of the members of ACT UP told Slate, the taxpayer is the initial investor in the development of medications that we then end up being charged top dollar for. There's a disconnect between what they represent as their true cost and what we've already paid into the system. As ACT UP points out, this isn't just a Gilead issue. This is common in the United States. But what makes this company so particularly maddening is their claim that they you know, claim to care when they just really don't. It feels like a slap in the face for the company to sponsor pride parades while they withhold life-changing medication from the very same people they claim to support. As the author of the article says, making the most effective method of prevention available only to those who can afford it is innately discriminatory. And they're right, that's exactly what it is. Now that we've talked about some of these companies and their hypocritical natures and false support of the LGBTQ community, let's talk about what we can do differently. How can we support the community and celebrate pride in a way that also doesn't put money in the pockets of the wrong people? Now, there are a lot of ways we can celebrate pride without giving to big box corporations or inadvertently donating to the wrong folks. Many activists suggest purchasing pride wear and other forms of merchandise from LGBTQ organizations. Many of them sell gorgeous items and the proceeds go right back into the organizations or the community. If you're thinking about purchasing Pride products from big box sellers, make sure to check their background and their funding history. I find Open Secrets to be a really amazing and easy way to do this. And of course, links for sources and all that will be in the description box. Now, for giant companies to move away from this kind of rainbow capitalism shenanigans they're on, they need to put their money in actions where their mouths are. If they wanna post rainbow captions, sell rainbow products, or promote LGBTQ inclusion and visibility, then they need to be giving more, if not all of those sales in June back to advocacy groups. Corporations need to realize that who they fund makes a huge impact on the community and true allyship means being an ally 24 seven, 365, not just in June. It's way past time to do better. But of course, with all of that being said, those are just my thoughts, opinions, things gathered up, some resources and presenting it all to you. So I hope you learned something from today's episode. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following and subscribing. I appreciate that you decided to spend a couple minutes of your time here with me today. It really does mean a lot to me. And I look forward to seeing you again in the next one. Bye. <laughs>